0: Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. I'm Phil, and I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors on staff. I have just two quick announcements before we get started in worship this morning. Can you believe Christmas is only one week away? So as a reminder, we're going to be holding several candlelight services this coming weekend on the 23rd and 24th, and then one bilingual service on Christmas Day at 11 a.m. This is a great opportunity to invite someone in your life who you've been praying for to respond to the good news of Jesus. So pick up some free Christmas service invitation cards in the atrium that you can share with those you love. Check out wheatandbible.org slash Christmas for service times, childcare information, and Shine special needs programming. Enrollment for current preschool families and new families who are members at WBC and IDP is now open for the 2023-2024 school year. Enrollment is not exclusive for those who attend Wheaton Bible Church. So if you know of a family that would be interested in our preschool program, they can enroll starting January 4th. Check out wheatonbiblepreschool.org for more information. Merry Christmas and have a great week. Welcome
1: to the fourth Sunday of Advent. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 95. Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pastor and the sheep of His hand. We are His people because of the gift of Jesus Christ and what God did through Christ, for us at the cross and through his resurrection. Let us stand and worship him for that wonderful gift today.
2: though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace.
1: We were made, we were made to live in harmony with God and one another. Instead, because of our sin, we were separated from God and living in enmity with Him. Because of evil in the world, we constantly face the brokenness around us and in our own lives. And with it, the lack of peace in our minds and hearts. Today, we need peace. We need peace more than ever. Peace with God and peace with one another. However, the kind of peace that the world offers, it only goes so far. It is fragile, conditional, and temporary. It can do nothing about our relationship with God. But the peace that God has accomplished and offers us through his Son is perfect and everlasting. It surpasses all understanding and reaches every aspect of our humanity. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. He is the one who came as the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He reconciles us to God and one another. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16.
2: As we move closer to the advent of Christ at Christmas, We're reminded that the promise of perfect peace has been fulfilled in Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Now, regardless of the external circumstances, we know that all is well with us. So we light the Advent candle to remind us of Jesus' words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. John 14:27. Let's continue worshipping Jesus together. Please stand. of kids that is gonna help join us in worship today. We have our biggest kids choir that we've had since COVID. And so um we're real excited to have them. You wanna welcome them?
3: We give glory to God one more time. I must remind you that the Lord is very emphatic about the things that we can learn from a child. So just think about that for a second. What is it that the Lord sees in them that adults must learn to do? As we continue in an attitude of worship, I'm going to call the ushers to please come to the front. And as they come to the front, I want to remind you that as a church, we believe uh, that offerings and tithing is a biblical principle. It's something that Christians practice, not because we have to, but we do it as, a, as an act of adoration and in response to the grace of God. So if you're visiting for the first time... Um, if you want to participate, you may participate, but please don't feel obligated. This is for those of us that belong to this local church. As always, I want to remind you that there's three different ways to give. You could give online. You could give uh, every time we pass the plate. So you could, uh, for those of you that are worshiping with us online, you could always send your offerings to the offices of the church. You may pass the plates. <laughs> As we continue to pass the plates, I have a couple of things that I wanted to share with you. Uh, I don't know if how uh, many how many of you guys heard, but this week, this last week, uh, there was a fire in West Chicago in the Main Park Apartments. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, who don't know what that is, it's kind of on the se- south side of West Chicago, and we happen to have offices of Puente de Pueblo in that location. Uh, And by God's grace, Puente del Pueblo was able to get in and help the community. About 23 household, uh, different families were significantly affected by that. Uh, so, Puente del Pueblo, by God's grace, was able to be there. Uh, we were able to work with other organizations in the community, like uh, Red Cross or Outreach Community, as well. We were able to provide uh, the means so people get new furniture and some clothing, um, and even more than that, we were able to help uh, some of these families find a permanent location. Um, I, I think that it was uh, it's an evidence of of the Lord's grace that as a community of faith, we get to be in our community, serving our brothers, uh, our, our neighbors, and being able to uh, shine the light of Jesus in times of need. Amen? How about we give glory to God for that? Now, the question that I have to ask is, why is it then that as a church we get this blessing to be able to participate in our community like that? And I have to say that part of the reason why we can do things like that is because of your generosity. It is because you are committed to the mission of God and the glory of God that we as a community of faith can actually serve our community even if they're not Christians yet. So I want to thank you and I want conti- to ask you to continue to please support the church financially. As you know, the month of December is usually when we collect um, almost one third of our budget. Now at the beginning of December, we're looking at our numbers and we realize that we needed to finish the year, well, $3.3 million. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money. $3.3 million. But I'm here to inform that two weeks before we finished the year, now we are down to $1.6 million. Yes, give Him glory. Now, that's still a lot. That means that we need you to pray... And we need you to give. We are asking the Lord to allow us to finish our year well so we can continue to do the things that the Lord has called us to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. So if you said amen, you have to give. Let me pray. Lord, I'm grateful for your mercy and your love. I'm so grateful, Lord, that we get to be light and salt in our community in the midst of, of struggle and pain. I'm grateful, Lord, that you've made of us people that are not holding things back, Lord, but that we could give and give generously. Lord, we bring before you all these 23 families that are going through very, very difficult times. I pray, Lord, that you continue to uh, provide for them. I, I, I pray, Lord, that you continue to protect them. But more than that, I pray that during this season of pain and struggle, they may get to see the real meaning of Christmas in which... Jesus came to bring to them peace. I pray, Lord, that you open up their minds and hearts so they could see the beauty of our Savior. Lord, and we also put before you our families that may be struggling. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you also show yourself to them and we bring before you our finances. Lord, you have always done it and you will do it again. And yet you called us to pray. We pray for $1.6 million for the next two weeks so that at the end of the year, we could say it once again, you are always faithful, you are faithful, and you would always be faithful. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says.
4: Advent is a special time of year where we as God's people set aside time to reorient our hearts on the truth of who Jesus is. But during times of increasing darkness, how do we again come to Advent, despite the trouble we see and face, to trust and believe in the truth of Jesus' character? It is important to remember that God's people have always faced overwhelming circumstances. The Israelites, the nation miraculously brought about by God who would bring forth the promised Messiah, consistently violated their covenant with God and suffered devastating consequences. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we see so clearly how sin leads people down dark paths. But yet, we also see God sovereignly interrupt the painful circumstances and trials of life in order to bring hope, love, joy, peace, No space is too dark for God's light to shine. Scripture then reminds us who God is, has been, and will always be. In the birth of Jesus Christ, all the stories of God interrupting our world for His plans find their ultimate fulfillment. Amidst the darkness and uncertainty life brings, God seeks to not simply dispel the darkness, but bring the light of His glorious grace. Advent reminds us once again that the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the light of the world, is the interruption that led to our salvation being secured on the cross. Because of His victory over sin and darkness, we can forever experience the hope, love, joy, and peace God gives us.
3: All right, good morning, familia, once again. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Hannibal, and we are so glad that you are here, and I want to welcome you all to our fourth week of Advent. And as our church, our tradition has been uh, to talk about four themes during the, during the time of Advent, or the celebration of Advent, or uh, we could call it four gifts, and we, have, we always talk about hope, love, joy, and today we are talking about Peace. So let me ask a personal question. How many of us need peace today? All right, let me ask a different question. How many of you don't need peace so we could pray for you? This is a very important topic, and it's a topic that is not unique to Christianity, but the peace that Christianity talks about is unique. Let me say that again. The topic of, of peace is not unique to Christianity, but the peace that the Bible talks about. Is unique. And for that, we're going to be looking into Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 uh, to 9. If you're still here, could you please say, I'm here. I'm here? Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Today, I'm asking the text uh, similar questions to the the ones I asked last week. Today, I'm asking the text, what is peace? What does the Bible mean when they talk about peace? How much we need it, and how do we get it? What it is, how much we need it, and how do we get it? Let's go with the first question, what is peace? The reason why I, I start with this question is because I want to make clear what I said at the beginning, that the peace that the Bible talks about That even though it's not unique to Christianity, because other religions talk about peace and other philosophies talk about peace, the peace that the Bible talks about is unique by nature. So, for the most part, people in the world, anybody in the world, would describe peace in terms of the absence of hostility or violence, the absence of problems and or suffering, and also the presence of freedom and harmony. Something along those lines. And usually when people talk about peace, he's talking uh, about peace both at a personal level and a social level. And I think that's important to understand because that description in itself tells you that we all want peace and we all need peace. And we all agree that the world needs peace. So most religions in the world have a message like that. Many philosophies in the world have a message like that. So the question is, why is it or what's unique about the peace that the Bible talks about? Well, I want to remind you that one of the first things that was said about Jesus when he was born in Luke chapter 2 was when the angels are singing and they say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. So I would say that as Christians, we should agree That peace is the absence of, could be, the absence of hostility or violence, the absence of problems or suffering, or also the presence of freedom and harmony. We could say that peace could be that. What I want to invite you to consider today, that even though our peace, the biblical peace, could be that, the biblical peace is much more than that. Let me say that again, that the biblical peace could be that, But if you really pay attention, the biblical peace, the peace that Jesus comes to bring, is much more than that. It's unique by nature. And I'm going to give you three reasons why. Actually, I want you to pay attention because this sermon has three points as always. Right? And each point has three sub-points. That means that I'm breaking a record today. Nine-point sermon. Ready? Let me give you three reasons why... The biblical peace, the peace that Jesus comes to bring is unique in nature. The first thing has to do, the first reason has to do with the very definition of peace from a biblical perspective. So for example, the word peace that we find in this text in the New Testament is the word "arene," which you find it in verse 9 and verse 9, which is the same word that you find in the Old Testament when it talks about shalom, which is also, it's, it's a more known word. It is this word that is used to describe something the individual can have, but also describes something that once the individual has it, he or she seeks to bring it to his surroundings. That will be one of the main differences right from the beginning. When the Bible talks about uh, peace, shalom, it talks about something that a person can experience. This completeness or wholeness or well-being or restoration or reconciliation or, or to repair or to fix. Those are all different synonyms in the Bible for the word peace. A person can experience this and automatically that person seeks to bring that to his surroundings. I want you to see that the biblical peace, the peace that Jesus comes to bring, is holistic by nature. It's not just for you and it's not just for others. It's a peace that is for us and we seek to share with others. In other words, the word shalom in the Bible, the word Irene in the Bible, the word peace in the Bible is both a personal peace that makes you or turns you into a person of peace. The peace in the Bible is a personal peace, but it's a peace that turns you into a person of peace. Some someone that desires to see completeness, completeness, wholeness, well-being, restoration, reconciliation, to repair, to fix, and to bring together things that are broken in this world. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5:18, that this is from God who reconciled us, which is a synonym of the word peace. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation? Can you see it? Shalom received, shalom extended. Shalom embraced, shalom extended. Peace received, peace extended. Why would this be countercultural? Because the biblical peace is not self-centered. And it's not individualistic. It is something that we have and we want to share. And then it gives you a picture of this Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that comes to bring reconciliation to our hearts, peace to our hearts, and also to bring peace to the world. You know that phrase, peace in the world, is so is used all over the place. In every Miss Universe, actually, not everywhere. Almost every single one I would say, what do you want in the world? Peace in the world. Right? And it's a good, it's a good thing. But my argument is, it, is that if there's a group of people that can actually do this and live this out, it's, it's, it's the Christian. Because we understand that the peace we have is both personal to make us people of Peace. First reason. Second reason, similar to what we talked about last week with Joy, is that the peace that Christianity talks about is unique because our peace is not circumstantial. It's not bound to circumstances. That it is possible for a believer to go through awful things, to struggle with many things, and yet somehow know that he or she is okay. That a Christian could go through painful things, but at the same time, no. I have this sense that at the end, everything will be okay. Now, where do I get that from, from the text? Well, look at what it says in verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Can you say understanding? Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that phrase is an amazing, beautiful phrase transcends all understanding. Now, theologians have different definitions of what that means. Some people would say that that phrase means that you can't even understand the, the, the peace that God provides. But I think that there's a better definition of what that means. The word transcends can also be translated as surpasses, or that is much better. And I think that what Paul is saying here is that the peace that the Lord gives is much better than any other peace we could ever find in this world. I think that what Paul is saying that the peace that the Lord provides transcends, surpasses, is much better, much more beautiful, much more secure than any other peace we have in this world. See, the world definition of peace is is something along these lines. If you want peace, you got to have something. If you have this, then you you will have peace. Or if you want peace, you got to get rid of something. And if you get rid of something, then you will find peace. But I think that we would all agree that if that is the definition of peace, then why is it that when we get the stuff we want, we're still restless, and when we lose the things that we don't want, we're still restless? Well, that's why the peace that the Lord provides is not bound to circumstances. It doesn't have to do with anything you have or you don't have. The peace of God is permanent and is always there. It transcends all understanding. It is not bound to anything or anybody. And not only transcends all understanding, but it's also a peace that is extremely, extremely practical. You know why? Because the text says that it guards your heart and your mind. You know, the word guard there is an image that Paul is borrowing from the Roman world in which a guard had two responsibilities when they were taking care of somebody. They had to protect and they had to be a companion. And if that's what Paul is saying here, then he's saying that the peace of God has this double uh, duty to protect you and to give you companionship. That regardless of what we go through, that regardless of what we struggle with, that regardless of the things you have or you don't have, that regardless of what you gain or what you lose, the presence of God guards, protects your heart at all times and protects your mind at all times. Even if things go wrong and even if you cannot feel it. That's the thing about this piece. That's not even... That is not even bound to your emotions. Ask anybody. And actually. Ask yourself. How do you know. When you, how do you know when you have peace? And most of the time. We would say. Because I feel peace. I want to invite you to consider. That that's a very limited definition. Because the. Peace of God is not bound to anything we go through or not even to what you feel. I'm going to make the case that the best example of this is Paul himself. And I want to invite you to use your imagination for a second because when Paul writes this letter, he is in prison. And when Paul writes this letter, he is about to die. You can say that that was no honeymoon. You could say that that was no vacation. You could say that the problem was real. So use your imagination for a second. Because imagine Paul in a prison, which is not like the modern day prisons. These are like a cold uh, made out of stone prison. In which you are chained to a wall 24-7. Therefore, you have limited mobility and limited freedom. And on top of that, you are guarded by someone 24-7. And on top of that, you have limited resources because it's not like if the government was sending money or food. And imagine this man, which is about 60-something years old, therefore not as strong as he wanted to be. And think about this man that has this death sentence. And think about this man that is experiencing loneliness because visitation is limited. Now... One of the guards, I'm asking you to use your imagination, okay? One of the guards sees him writing something. In the midst of all that struggle. And he asks them, what are you writing? And he says, I'm writing about the peace of God, which transcends all understanding and guards my heart and my mind. And he writes that. When he is in prison. When the circumstances are not favorable. When he knows that he is going to die. When he is feeling lonely and abandoned. When he has nothing to fight for. And yet, the peace of God who transcends all understanding guards his heart and mind. Can you see why the biblical peace is completely different to anything else? It affects you personally, and it pushes you to care for others. And it's not bound to any kind of circumstance or emotion. And reason number three. That peace, just like joy, is also divine. Look at what it says in verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. Did you notice? The peace of God is not something he gives. The peace of God is something he is. In verse 7, Paul talks about the peace of God. And in verse 9, he says that he is the God of peace. That the only reason why a believer can experience this sense of peace... This completeness, wholeness, well-being, it is because the peace of God is not something that God just gives. It is who he is. He is personal. He is divine. And he is not bound to anything or anybody. It's always there. I wonder how many of us need that peace today. Even if you are a Christian. I wonder how many of us actually have this piece in front of us all the time. So I can't help but to ask the question, why would Paul take the time to write this? Well, it leads me to my second point. How much do we need that piece? And in verses 4 to 6, Paul is going to say, he's going to mention three things that explain why is it that he's writing about this piece to this group of people at this time. In verse 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. In verse 5, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And in verse 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, here's a little bit of biblical interpretation of how I, at least I read the Bible. Whenever you read Paul's letter, letters, in a specific uh, Paul's writings, you would notice that Paul, whenever he talks about some sort of imperatives, things that we have to do, He's not just writing them because he wants us to put some things into practice, which there's nothing wrong with that. But that is not the primary reason why Paul is writing imperatives into his letters. Part of the reason why Paul every time writes imperatives into his letters is because the people he's addressing to struggle with those imperatives. So part of the reason why we're going to talk about rejoicing and gentleness and anxiety is because you too and I too struggle with those three things. See, once again, Paul here is using something similar to what people do today. I think I've used this before with you guys, but whenever you find a sign, for example, that is next to an outlet that says, do not put your finger here because you will get electrocuted. He, we see that sign because most likely someone already got electrocuted. You see, that's kind of how, how these works things over here. Whenever you find a toilet and it says, don't put stuff in that toilet, right? It's because most likely someone already put some stuff in the toilet and now the thing is overflown, everything smells nasty, and there's a reason why that sign is there. Paul does something very similar to that. He gives you an imperative because he knows that you struggle with it. You and I today... Still, a struggle with rejoicing, still a struggle with practicing gentleness, and still a struggle with anxiety. That's why we need peace. So, let me break those down for you. Why is it that we struggle with rejoicing? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because that's part of the sermon from last week. But what I want you to see today, though, is that peace and joy go hand in hand. That they're inseparable. That the person of peace is a person of joy, and a person of joy is a person of peace. That part of the reason why we struggle with joy is because we struggle with peace. And that if we struggle with joy and we struggle with peace, that's part of the reason why we have bitterness and anger and sadness and discouragement. That's part of the reason why we cannot even deal with our own things or help other people. Actually, I, I want to make the argument that that is one of the most discouraging things to me for some modern-day Christians. I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but Martin Lloyd-Jones would say that the ultimate evidence of your Christianity is joy. Joy. And I will make the same argument for peace. But when I look around, especially to the Christian community, I actually struggle seeing a lot of joy or peace. I actually see the opposite. I see a lot of anger. I wonder if this is part of the reason why evangelism is not a good thing today for many people. I wonder if this is part of the reason why society is rejecting everyone that is trying to share the gospel, even in a loving way. And I want to make the argument that part of the reason why people are doing that is not just because they don't want God, but because there are some people, prominent people, that continue to try to be evangelists, and they're full of anger. I'm going to give you an example, and I'm not going to tell you who that person is because you already bought a lot of his books. But three years ago, this well-known Christian, well-known pastor, well-known writer... During that political season we went through, that is coming back again, he had a hard time making a distinguishing between his theology and his politics. So he became overzealous for his politics. He goes to this political party thing, political rally thing, and he, like in any other political rally, you got both in front of both opponents in front of you. This guy got so upset, people. And this is where social media does not help. He got so upset with one of the opponents that he punched a guy in the face. And then he runs away. And of course, the world is going to take that and magnify it. And all I'm thinking is that's a man of anger. No peace. No joy. And then we wonder, why is it that Christianity has lost so much ground in our society? This is the thing about anger and bitterness. That people remember what they saw, not what they heard. That people remember more more the message that people displayed, than the message they proclaimed. Don't you think that we need peace today? Just as much we need gentleness. That goes along with that. The word gentleness in the text can be translated into different ways. It could be translated as gentle or kind. Or it can also be translated as forbearance or patience. And I think that both of those are important. See, if the shalom we have is was personal... And it turns us into people of peace. How is it that we're going to be able to bring the peace to others if we don't know how to be gentle? Which, by the way, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. How is it that we're going to reach anybody if we are harsh and impatient and we lack self-control? Don't you think that we need peace? Actually, anybody that has been in this world for more than two days know that how hard it is to leave your Christianity in this world. How is it that you're going to be able to endure everything that happens and everything that we go through if you are not a person of peace? Don't you think that we still need this peace today? Not only we struggle with rejoicing and not only we struggle with gentleness, but we also struggle with anxiety, fear. I think that every single one of us here in this room would agree that fear is one of the most controlling things in most of our hearts. Fear is constantly ruling our hearts. If you have much, you fear that you don't have enough. If you are young, you fear that you're getting old. If you have a job, you fear that you're going to lose your job. If you're healthy, you, f- you fear that you're going to be unhealthy. We are constantly stru- struggling with fear. Don't you think that this is part of the reason why we need this peace? See, without peace, bitterness, anger, sadness, sorrow, and discouragement rule our hearts, not joy. See, without peace, harshness, impatience, and lack of self-control rules our hearts, not gentleness. See, without peace, the suffering and the struggles of this life will produce discouragement, not endurance. See, without peace, fear rules our hearts, not peace. Now, I want you to notice there for a second... That all these things, these three things that Paul mentions here, are heart issues. Not just behavior issues. Rejoicing is a matter of the heart. Gentleness is a matter of the heart. Fear is a matter of the heart. Now, what is interesting, though, about this, if you really pay attention to that, is that the heart cannot be controlled... Or transform by simply someone telling you, rejoice. Oh, okay, I'll rejoice. Or if you're struggling with gentleness, practice gentleness. Oh, okay, i practice gentleness. Or stop feeling fear. Oh, okay, i stop feeling fear. Is that how that works? So Paul... Cannot be just giving you commands that will change your heart. All personal here. This is part of the reason why I struggle so much when someone tells me that the way to deal with my heart issues is with techniques. There's a place for techniques, but a technique that is not addressing your heart modifies your behavior, but it doesn't change your heart. You heard that? Techniques have the power to modify your behavior, but it doesn't change your heart. Therefore, Paul cannot be saying that the way to fight against bitterness or harshness or fear is just to command your heart, rejoice, be gentle, don't be anxious. There's got to be something else. Here it is. All these three issues are spiritual issues. Amen? If they're heart issues, they're spiritual issues. Therefore, you deal with spiritual things in a spiritual way. So this leads me to question number three. How do we get this peace that we need to be able to deal with these things in our hearts? And Paul here gives us three very practical things. Three very practical spiritual disciplines that allows you to embrace more and more the peace that Jesus already brought. Three peace: Prayer, pondering, and practice. Prayer, pondering, and practice. Look at the first one here, prayer. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. That's a crazy statement. He says, do not be afraid of anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then in verse 7, he tells you why. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The phrase Christ Jesus there is super important because it tells you that this is not something we are creating. We are grabbing what we already have if you're already a Christian. Prayer is necessary because it connects you with the realities that you already have. Now watch this. Why would Paul talk about this? For our heart issues. Because when we struggle in our hearts, the first thing we forget is that God is God. The first thing you forget, the first thing I forget, is that God is my God. Prayer helps you remember and brings you back to the reality that God is God and that I'm not. It brings me back to the reality that my God cares for anything and everything that happens to me. And that's why I pray. It reminds me that my God cares about my needs. And that's why I bring petitions. And it helps me remember and internalize that everything that the Lord allows, everything that the Lord brings, everything that the Lord does, at the end of the day, is always for his glory and my good, even if it doesn't make any sense. And that's why I pray with thanksgiving. That little phrase is so important. If you like to circle things in your Bible, that phrase is to circle. Notice that it doesn't say that we should pray prayers of thanksgiving. We should do that, but that's not what Paul says here. He says for us to bring our petitions and our requests, and we pray to the Lord with thanksgiving. How is that different? See, I could pray to God so he does my will. Or I could pray to God so he accomplishes his will. Church and his will is always good. And his will is always for his glory and my good. Even if he doesn't answer the prayer I wanted him to answer, even if he doesn't answer my prayer, or even if he asked me to wait. See, we pray with thanksgiving, because we bring all of this before the Lord, but we know that because He is good and everything he does is good, everything He does. Everything he does and he doesn't do, it will be for his glory and my good, even if it doesn't make any sense to me. And that's when you get the peace of God. Pray until the peace of God and the God of peace rules your heart. No prayer, no peace. Number two. In order for us to embrace this peace that is already given to us in Jesus Christ, we got to learn to ponder. Look at what it says in verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Notice the word think It doesn't say, do these things. It doesn't say, run faster. It doesn't say, distract yourself. It doesn't say, hide yourself. It doesn't say, pretend that nothing is happening. Think. Ponder. Ponder about these things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about God, who he is, what he does, who has been, who will be, all his promises. Think. Because at the end of the day, Christianity is a thinking faith. Not just an emotional faith. Listen, you could tell that I'm all about emotions. But my emotions must be grounded on the things we think about. Think. I'm assuming that you guys are familiar with a lady called Joni Erickson Tata. She's a lady that has been paralyzed for more than 50 years from the neck down. And she has this, uh, she's known for this sentence, which I find amazing. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And in her testimony, she she explains how is it that this, she, she calls those 10 words, the most important 10 words that change her theology and life about suffering, understanding about suffering. And in her testimony, she explains that for months, she took every single one of those words and pondered upon them. So she needed to understand who God was. She needed to understand what God permits. He needed to understand what God hates. He, she needed to understand what, she, what God accomplishes. She needed to understand what God loves. And therefore, she came to the conclusion that God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. That didn't come in his vision. And that didn't come with an emotional thing. That came because he was thinking. Praying and thinking. Praying and thinking. Praying and thinking. Christianity, at the end of the day, is a thinking religion, if you will. You want to find peace? Think and ponder about the peace of God and the God of peace. And to peace rules your heart. Not only we pray, not only we uh, ponder, but we also practice. Right at the end in verse 9 it says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or, seen in me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Listen, this one took me a a little bit of time. Why would obedience be connected to my peace? And the more I thought about it, because I was doing the pondering thing, the more I realized this. Obedience is always what is best for you. If we are designed by God, then he knows what is best for us. Submission to what he wants is what is best for us. We were created for that. Actually, we struggle when we walk away from that. That's why sin makes us dumb. Because we are going contrary to our original design. So if obedience, practicing what God says, is so important, then we only find peace when we live according to what he says. So there's one last question to answer. How do we know that that is true? How do we know that this peace of God and the God of peace wants to give us peace? Is there an ultimate evidence that that is true? Of course there is. Let me remind you of this phrase God permits what He hates to accomplish what He loves. You know what I think about when I think of that? The cross. Think about what God was willing to do for you. God hated the cross, He hated the cross for what He represented. He hated the cross for what he did to his son. He hated the cross because he brought judgment. He hated the cross because he was painful. And he hated the cross because he killed his son. And yet, he used it to accomplish what he loves. To give you peace with God. See, the peace of God, comes from the God of peace, which is the same God of peace that wanted you to have peace with him. Do you have any idea how costly your peace is? And how secure it is? Jesus guaranteed it. That's why Jesus said, and we read this before, peace I live with you, my peace I give to you, I do, not give it, I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not, be, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The God of peace is the one that gives you the peace of God. Because in Jesus you have peace with God. Amen? Let's pray. Wonderful Savior, we come before you as people desperate of peace in desperation of peace. We come before you this morning, Lord, because we struggle with joy, we struggle with gentleness, and we struggle with peace, uh, with fear. Lord, it doesn't matter how many times we hear a message like this, and it doesn't matter how many Christmas we celebrate and how many Advent themes we remember. Lord, part of the reality of being a fallen human being and living in this broken world is that we continue to struggle with that. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that this may be a season in which we embrace once again the free peace that He has been be, uh, be given to us because of Jesus Christ. That we may take it in and share it with others. That we may embrace it in such a way that is not bound to circumstances. And that we acknowledge and believe that the reason why we have it is because peace is who you are. Can you please help us believe, understand, and embrace what Jesus already did for us? Please make it happen. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say...
1: Today as we respond to God's word, the choir will sing an anthem about God's gift of Jesus to us, our only source of peace.
3: Okay, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I wanna remind you that during this season of the year we wanna uh, we we are trying to highlight and elevate prayer. So if you have prayer requests, please let us know. On Tuesday we're gonna be praying for you. I wanna remind you that this is a great season for us to be praying for the one for one person, one family member, one coworker, one neighbor. Just pray that the Lord would do something. And I also wanna remind you that um, the big Christmas celebration is coming up. So Friday, Saturday, all of our Christmas services, and then we're still going to have a service, bilingual service on Sunday. Amen? All right. I'm going to ask you to please stand. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. And the church says, Amen. thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day.